Wow, it's fantastic to see you guys here. Woo, glad that you're here. It's really, really, really nice. I can tell right away that, forget this COVID-19 pounds, you guys must have been the ones who bought all the weights at the start because y'all looking great. It's great to have people here too. Maybe I'm going to venture a joke, not today, but soon, because at least maybe I'll get some feedback of either groans or laughs or something if I'm lucky. But it's so good to see you guys. I'm really, really glad that you're here. And um, if you've been with us these last couple of weeks online, you know that we are in a sermon series right now. And um, I, we're going to talk about um, something that's super important today. And it reminds me of a story that I heard a while back about Albert Einstein towards the end of his life. He, he had two portraits in his office of two scientists that he took down. One was Newton, one was Maxwell. And he replaced them with a portrait of Gandhi and of Schweitzer. And he more or less said, I want to re- redefine what we think about as success in terms of service. That's what we're going to talk about today, the place of service. And I think it's hugely important for us in our life as disciples. And I'm going to say that for a number of reasons. This sermon series, if you've been with us, if, you, if you've not been with us, I want to encourage you to go back and get the sermons. They're all in our media center, and you can download them there. But week one, we talked about what is discipleship? What's it look like? And I kind of settled down on a definition just for working purposes that said that discipleship is focused on helping people to learn certain things, to learn um, to think certain things, to feel certain things, and to do certain things as a Christian. So it's kind of those three things that we were looking at. There are lots of ways we can kind of talk about what it is. And then last week, we looked at Scripture. And we looked at the role of Scripture in Jesus' life and what that was like. And we looked at how Scripture functionally forms us as disciples, what, what its role is in, in molding us and forming us. And then we talked about how we encounter God through Scripture. That's kind of the three things that we did, that we did last week. So today we're turning to talk about service. And I kind of want to follow that same pattern again of looking at, at similar things. I want to first look at what was Jesus's modeling of, of service. I want to consider at least for a little bit what Scripture and Jesus's teaching said about service. service. And then finally, I want to talk about what service, what benefits there are in us engaging as servants, right? So that's kind of where, where we're headed on all this. And when we start with that first bit and we think about Jesus for a minute and his life, throughout his entire life, he modeled what it means to be a servant. He modeled servant leadership. He modeled all different aspects of what it means to be a servant. And we think about this like in... Um, in Matthew 20, where Jesus is um, talking, and Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And tied up in with that, I think, is a real place of humility that we're called to as disciples. And Jesus, of course, models that for us. And probably the most famous passage to think about on that is this one from Second Philippians. It's so important. I've talked about it before, but Christians have given it its own name, the kenosis, but it's, but it's this passage in 2 Philippians where it talks about how Jesus did not count equality with God the Father a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
taking on the form of a human, being found in human form. He gave himself even to death, even death on a cross. This idea that he has this complete humility that way as an aspect of what's involved in service. And again, Jesus continues to model this throughout his entire life. We read in Luke 21, there's a passage there where Jesus is talking about this in part, and he he tells to his followers, he says, when you come to a place where you're eating in their environment, who's the greatest person there? The person that's at the table or the person who's serving them? Well, obviously the person at the table. But he says, look, I've come to you as the one serving. Like he's putting it out there. That's what he's about. And he models that throughout his entire life, everywhere he goes. And I think you can see that even in the way he goes around teaching, right? When he starts his public ministry. Because Jesus doesn't just, you know, you've, if you've seen these famous people who have the people handling them and they just take them to their speaking platform and get them out of there and they don't shake any hands, they don't do anything. That was not Jesus. Jesus came wherever he went, he was healing people. He was looking on people with compassion. He was looking at the marginalized. He was hanging out with people who was, he was making controversies over the people that he's hanging out with. People who are, oh, everybody knows about her, but he's letting her wash his feet, dry it with her hair. Oh, he's hanging out with the tax collectors. Oh, he's touching a leper. Oh, all these different things he does. He's always out there with compassion and service as he teaches and he goes around and teaching, and he models that for us, right? So I think the first part, we, it's the people who want to be mature disciples, if that's what we want. We're called to look at Jesus' teaching and his life. And when we look at those, we see his life as this great model of what it is to be a servant. He who is so powerful and so great is modeling service for us. And Jesus doesn't just do it with his modeling. He does it with his words, right? There are lots of different examples that we could talk about on this. I think about, for example, when um, there are two of the disciples, you remember this, are kind of like getting into this thing where they're all trying to posture and position who's going to be greatest in in Jesus' kingdom and who's going to be at his right hand and all of these different kinds of things. And they're, they're posturing it this way. And Jesus says to them, This is from Matthew 20. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. You want to be great? You've got to be the servant. And Jesus has lots of teachings like this. You know, I've said it before. We don't, the Christian church doesn't base doctrine on a single passage. But if you go look at, at Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about the final judgment at the end of all time, He's not talking in that passage, and we would make, we're not going to make doctrine off one passage, but he doesn't say anything there about, oh, you've got to be baptized, or you've got to have some magic formula, or you've got to do whatever. Jesus, in this story, he's emphasizing so significantly the role of servanthood that he's saying on that day on judgment, it's going to be, how did you treat the least of these? The sick, the poor, the people in prison. It's everything he says in that passage is about being a servant. Not only being a servant, being a servant to the least of these. Like he's really leaning into that. And for me, I think the most potent example that he gives and teaching that he gives is on his final night. Like the night, like Jesus knows he's going to die. He's, he's been trying to tell his followers what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's going to have to die. He knows what's coming. And on this final night, that Thursday night, he knows what's coming the next day. 
I imagine that every word he says matters more because he knows tomorrow, this is the last normal night. And he, in the course of the dinner, takes off his robe, puts a towel around himself, and he goes and gets down on the floor and washes the feet of his followers. This is the teacher, the rabbi, washing the feet of his followers. And really, it's even more than that because in that context, the one who did that was really the, the role of the slave. It was the lowest kind of position to get down and wash the feet. Peter doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Don't, don't wash my feet. Jesus does this to model it. He does it to put a physical example out there of service. And I imagine that Jesus, you know, I don't know if there was any of the disciples in the room that weren't so quick on the uptake, or if he wrote it for us, who may needed to hear it more clearly, but he goes on to say it, like, so I've shown it to you, I've modeled it for you, I've got down on my knees and done this work. But then he goes on and explicitly says, I have done this for you to set an example. This is like my dying words, in a sense, is to, is to tell you that it's about service. It's about doing this act, right? So that's what Jesus, I don't think he could be any, I don't think he could be any stronger in saying that his followers are called to be servants. And of course, Scripture, it's not just what Jesus teaches, right? I think there's lots of passages in Scripture that will say the same thing to us. We've already quoted it once in this series. I know we've quoted it this summer um, in lots of different ways. But we think about Malachi 6, 8, where it says, what does God require of you? What does he require of you? But to seek justice, to love kindness, really loving kindness is saying to love helping people, to love having that servant attitude towards the people around you and to walk humbly with your God. Because servanthood and humbleness, I think, go together. Because we've got to be humble enough to serve others that way. And I think there, there are something, it's quoted, that there are more than a thousand passages in the Bible about service. So we could just keep going and going and going. But I, what I want to say is, I want to pause and think about what a cool and amazing thing this is for just a second. Because, you know, God's way of operating in the world, I mean, like, I would say in my life, I've seen one, maybe two things I would call a miracle, a thing where I think God somehow intervened in this God moment. I don't know why. I don't know why it's not that way all the time or whatever else, but I feel like he did in those moments. But that's not the way God normally operates. His MO is to call you to be his hands and feet in the world. His normal way of operating is to empower each of us as servants to be out doing stuff. We're his hands and feet. And it's a, to me, it's an it's a honor and it's an amazing thing that God calls us to cooperate with him, that God calls us to partner with him, that God calls us to be about his kingdom work with him in building this stuff and working on with it. And, and it's amazing. And I think the passage that I would kind of come back to if I was going to quote one passage on this would be St. Paul in, in the second chapter of Ephesians. St. Paul has... He's just talked about how salvation, thank goodness, is all about grace. You don't earn it. Nothing you do. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are, how many acts of mercy you do. It doesn't, like, all that kind of record keeping. That's not what your salvation is about. It's about grace and just receiving that, right? But then Paul follows it immediately in Ephesians 2.10 by saying, You are his workmanship, created 
for good works in Christ. You're his workmanship, created for good works in Christ. And there's moments where we're like, okay, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? We come back to this passage and we hear these words, you are his workmanship. You're created for good works in Christ. That's what we're about. That's a call that's placed on us. And I think it's a great call, right? So I think the next question we ask then, well, okay, well, what does that look like? What does that call to servanthood look like? And I want to suggest to you that it looks like a million different things. Because at the end of the day, I think it's about the whole, us being open to the Holy Spirit to lead us into whatever it is. Whether it is somebody who is going to make prayer shawls or somebody that's going to go on an international mission trip or somebody that's going to offer up their pew in our reservation system so somebody else can be there. Or it's sometimes maybe just a smile. Or maybe it's seeing the person that's a panhandler that you know is just trying to get beer money but, see, but still seeing their dignity. There are all kinds of ways, if we're open, that the Spirit will help us figure out ways to be kind, to love kindness, and to do acts of service, big and small. It's a million different ways. But to me, the single most important thing is an act of discipleship is to get to a place where we're willing to ask God to show us that and where we can slow down enough, my own sin, to hear God's voice saying, that person, you asked how they were doing today, and they said, okay, but you could tell they weren't. And the Spirit is saying, go back and ask them what's going on, or circle back around, or whatever it is, being attentive to the Spirit and asking God, what do you want me to do? And I think that's part of the prayer of a disciple. There are a number of prayers that, that come to my mind on this. One was uh, John Wesley's prayer. This is a version of it. He would pray, Lord, I give my life to you again. Do with me whatever you want. Help me to minister to your people, your world. Help me to bring honor to your name. And grant me a humble heart. It's part of his prayer. Again, sir, I think being a servant, being humble, go hand in hand. Or the Book of Common Prayer, for those of you who pray it every morning, or lean into that, or, or maybe it's a new thing you're going to do. In the general thanksgiving we always say this sentence. We say, and we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service. That's part of how we respond in gratitude, is giving up ourselves to your service. And it brings us back to asking God, on this day, how can I be kind? On this day, how can I show love to somebody big and small, all kinds of different ways. It can be kindness in hard situations. It can be kindness with somebody you're angry with. Because I think our call is to love kindness and to try to show kindness. It doesn't matter if you're fighting, breaking up, dispute at work, to try to mark it by kindness because we're, it matters down into our very souls. And again, there are a million ways that this takes place. I read an article just recently uh, just think about all the ways that these kinds of things take place. But this is from 2018. It's a story about a young guy that was 20 years old, um, a guy named Jordan Taylor. He was out of high school, and he's saving money for college. He's working as a stalker at a um, grocery store. And this, the way this thing developed is he realizes that somebody's watching him while he's stalking. And it was this 18-year-old uh, boy who... Um, was autistic, 
just sitting there watching him. And Jordan's response after he saw this guy watching him very intently for a while was to invite him over to help him. And so he got this boy, they're, they're, they're stocking the shelves together, and the boy's dad started filming it. And then he was so impressed with it, he films it, he ultimately puts it online, it goes viral. The news station comes down and interviews him. He just says, well, it just felt like the right thing to do. And he said, I want to be a teacher, and I want to help people. And this is part of, I'm just here working to raise money. And from that, somebody saw that, started a GoFundMe page. The guy got his college money paid for out of that whole deal. Local car dealership gave him a used car. Boom, it passed go, and he got to go straight on to college. But I think about the sense in which he just saw a place to, to do kindness. And he was blessed from it. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But we start to think about, and the final part of the mo- final movement of this sermon is I just want to say, what are the benefits of this, right? I mean, look at how it blessed so many people with what that one guy did on that day. We can start to think about all the ways that God uses servanthood to bless people. One of those, I think, for us is on the front of sharing our faith, our life, and our love. Because there are lots of people who will not listen to us in the church or see us or notice us or do anything unless they see us loving in a, in a real active sense. And that's our call, so why, do we, why don't we lean into that? After Hurricane Katrina, I remember seeing an article um, by a, one of the writers for The Guardian, a guy named Roy Hattersfield, who wrote this um, article where he was, he, he's a very uh, pronounced atheist, but he talked about going and, and writing on Katrina and how he was so impressed by all the faith groups that were coming in the aftermath of that. They didn't have to do that, but they did. They were all there serving in all kinds of ways. And he made this comment in his article Notably absent from it were, where was the Free Thought Society? And where were all these different groups and so on and so forth? And he concludes in this article that he wrote, he says, it's an unavoidable conclusion that Christians are the people most likely to take risks and make the sacrifices involved in helping others. That's part of Jesus' call in our life. And I think, so I think it affects evangelism. I think it affects our world. And just for a moment to think about how things propagate, how God uses things in ways you don't even know, right? I think about the example of this. Um, I saw an article by, and I've heard this guy speak once, but the CEO of World Vision wrote once about who in our generation, in the last couple generations, has had the biggest impact on poverty? Who's had the biggest impact on poverty in the world in the last number of generations? And he said a name I'd never, ever heard of. The guy's name is Steve Reynolds. And it's like, who is Steve Reynolds? And he tells the story that Steve Reynolds was a young 20-something-year-old who gave himself to, to working for World Vision. He was stationed in Ethiopia back when they were having the worst famine in a generation. He's helping with, with a time when people are dying. This is when all that stuff was going on, if you remember those who were alive in the 80s, when all these people are dying. He's working tirelessly because of what's ta- taking place. And on this particular day, he gets a phone call from headquarters saying, I know you're working yourself to death there, but we, we want to ask you to do something. We have this European couple that wants to come work, and we want you to host them. Will you do it? And he's like, yes, I will do it. So he meets them, and they come, and they stay with him, and they end up just leaning into it and working in all kinds of different ways. The, the couple is named Allie and Paul Hewson, and Paul would play 
guitar to ease the, the comfort the kids and do things. And it made a powerful impact on them. Now, Paul Hewson, you may know better by his other name, Bono. And Bono, of course, goes on to be the greatest advocate for poverty, for the poorest of the poor. He goes before kings and queens and parliament and Congress and anybody that will listen to him that has anything to do to advocate for the poor. And, and later on, Bono gave um, an interview for a major magazine, and he said, this all started for me in Ethiopia in the mid-1980s. When my darling wife and I went out there as children, really, to see and to work in Africa. And he mentions how they were, he was hosted by Steve Reynolds, who went on for more than three decades to work for World Vision. That's the guy the head of World Vision says made the biggest impact for hosting him and for the work he's done over these 30-something years. We don't know how God's going to take what we do and bless it. The final, um, I think, benefit, which is kind of selfish that I just want to mention, is there's a very direct benefit for us. I've never been on an international mission trip where I didn't have people say, we got more than we gave. And just like in the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the people who do this, I think we could add, blessed are the people who serve. Because when we serve, we receive. That's really oftentimes the way it is. And I was thinking about this. I read um, a study, and I'll, I'll end with this, but it, I, we, there was a study done where the scientists, it was a, not a st statistically significant group, but they had 132 people with MS that they were studying, and they broke them into two groups. One group every week was having somebody come in and lecture to them about life skills and dealing with their new chapter of life that they're in. And the other group they wanted to study, they had somebody with MS meet with them and just commune with them and talk about what it is to live with it from firsthand experience. I don't know which group came out better because this whole result of this thing was that the researchers ended up being overwhelmed by the five people who had MS who were trained to talk to that one group because they were radically transformed. And the researchers uh, went on to say these people had undergone a spiritual transformation that gave them a refreshed view of who they were. It changed their self-esteem. It changed how they were handling things because they were giving. And you see this again and again. People who are abused, who turn around and help people who are abused, find healing. All these different ways. God blesses us as we serve. So it's not just drudgery that we hear Jesus say, come serve. Selfishly, I will tell you, and I believe and I've experienced, we get our own blessing in it. If you want to be a mature disciple, Jesus models it for us. He calls us to it. He teaches about it, and he rewards it. The question is, will we lean into it? Amen.